Well, it's already been a great week, weekend here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, if I started telling you why, we probably wouldn't get to the message. So uh, I'll control myself and uh, do stop me, though, after the message, and I'll start telling you why it was a fantastic uh, beginning to the weekend, especially last night with our, see, here I go. Uh, last night with our Nepali Christmas celebration, um, oh, I'm doing it, uh, something like, yeah, we're going to say about 70 of our Nepali neighbors, led by the, uh, the Christians among them, turned up last night to celebrate the Savior. Uh, what, a, what a time that was. We continue tonight, children's Christmas program. Going to be lots of our neighbors and lots of, lots of people who don't ordinarily attend Faith Bible Church in our building. Uh, it's going to be a great time as our kids lead us in worship and the very creative program that they bring every year. So come tonight at 6 o'clock. What a great uh, weekend this is here at Faith. Well, in coming to our message this morning, we are finishing... A series that Steve began back in the fall. We're talking about the attributes of God. And this is a series in which we've been dealing with who God is in his nature, in his attributes, and the characteristics that make up who he is as uh, the great person of our God. Uh, some of these attributes are attributes of being. God is spirit. God is invisible. Others of them are mental attributes. God is all-knowing, truthful, and faithful. And then we have the long list of moral attributes. God is good. He's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's patient, he's jealous and wrathful, he's righteous, he's just, and he's holy. And in looking at these attributes, we've, uh, we've concentrated on what we call the communicable attributes, those that uh, we share with God. Some of these we don't share in. God is invisible. Uh, there are times I would like to be invisible, but I'm, I, I'm not, and I can't be. This morning, though, we come to the, the final attribute uh, of peace. God is a God of peace and order, and it is very much a communicable attribute. It is very much uh, a, a quality of God's nature that he allows us to share in through Christ. And this is a great message. It's a great topic for us to think about as we move deeper into the Christmas season. And it's also, as we'll find out, a, a word that contains some surprises for us as we think about what we think peace looks like and compare that to who God is as a God of peace. This week, Pastor Steve was gone. He was not in the office for the most part. And I always like it when he's gone because I get to hoard his Wall Street journals. And I get to collect them every day. I don't have time to read them, but I can make them 
a big into a big stack, and then on Friday afternoon, I kind of got to rifle through them a little bit and and see what happened during the week. And this week, because of our particular topic, uh, I read them with a question in my mind, which is not a bad way to read the news. Here's the question: Does the news indicate peace and order? Or disorder in the world? Does the news indicate peace and order or disorder in the world? And, and as you would imagine, imagine the, uh, the result was rather mixed. Uh, there is a kind of enforced order in the world that works because it has to, and uh, it's, it's true by God's by, by God's grace that he allows, allows our world to hang together, but it's only partially orderly our world is. Let me give you some examples. I don't know if you realize this, but our government ran out of money again this week. Um, it's become something that's so common that on the one night when I watched the news, it wasn't even a story. We run out of money so often now that they don't even report it, but uh, the Wall Street Journal did, and if you kept up, um, on Thursday night, with about 60 minutes left before we completely ran out of money, the House passed a spending bill with a stopgap measure, and I saw this morning that last night the Senate kicked in, and so we're, we're funded again for a while. But we all know the kind of wrangling that has to take place for that to happen, and there was a kind of enforced order that took place out of practical necessity. There was also a report... Um, on the CIA that uh, uh, was much in the news this week as we thought back to what went on in the chaotic days following 9-11 and different methods that the CIA used to draw information from our enemies. It was in a way an enforced order as our enemies tried to bring order to the world according to their own imaginings. That's still going on. One interesting story from overseas, a a senior Palestinian official named Abu Ain entered a Jewish settlement and tried to plant olive trees. Uh, There was a scuffling with security forces. His heart was weak anyway, and he died. And as you can imagine, accusations flew both ways as everybody had their idea of what peace and order ought to look like, and it simply uh, wasn't true. And then in news that is... Much closer to in much closer to home for many Americans. Once again, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, uh, tried to get a handle on domestic violence in the league. There's been 135 domestic violence allegations since 2000, many of them involving big, strong athletes beating up women. And he attempted to bring about some order in the league. Uh, in an arena that has become increasingly disorderly. And that's our world. That's the news. Partial order, enforced order, practical order, but nothing like the deep-down harmonious order that we so desire because we're created in God's image. And in contrast to all of that, we're going to see today from looking at Scripture, that God is a God of peace who exists without disorder 
and who actively includes his people in his peace through the gospel. That's the main idea today. We'll spill it right up front so we can be really clear as to what we're talking about. I'll read it one more time. God is a God of peace who exists without disorder and who actively includes his people in his peace through the gospel. You'll notice there are two parts to this. He's a God who exists without disorder. That describes who God is. And then the second part, he actively includes his people in his peace through the gospel. That's what God does. This morning we're going to be looking at a a lot of different passages. And you have a a choice here. You can try to play uh, John Henry against the machine and just flip through your Bible and try to keep up. Got to remember John Henry died of exhaustion, though, so be careful. Um, or you can play the machine against John Henry and take your tablet and punch in the punch in the verses and try to keep up that way. Or just uh, let the scripture wash over you and, and think about it. That might even be the best option. God is a God of peace who exists without disorder. You know, right off the bat, we have a problem here when we think about who God is as a a, a God of peace, because as we've already seen, we often think about peace only in the negative. Our peace frequently exists as a kind of ceasefire. Think of the Pax Romana, the peace of the Roman Empire that, yeah, it produced roads and Things like that that allowed the gospel to go out, but the Roman Empire was built on the backs of many people. Or we even think, going back to the news again, about Russia and Ukraine. Is there peace? Are they shooting today? Well, maybe not. But one would hardly call that, uh, would hardly call that peace. Or think about Ferguson, Missouri. Yep, there will come a day when there will be peace there in the sense that there won't be open rioting. But will that be a real peace? Or even think domestically. We've all known couples who have lived for decades in icy silence until one day something leads to them to try to do something about this and they maybe see a pastor or a counselor and then they start talking. And once they actually start talking, things get really bad as their issues come into the open and all they see there is that, well, they thought they had peace, but uh, it never really was peace. There was only silence. Uh, That's so often the peace that we experience and even endure in this world. When we think about God as a God of peace, though, we get to interact with One of the great words that we have in our Old Testament, the Hebrew part of our Bible, and it's the word shalom. If you go to Israel today, you greet each other. Shalom, shalom. It refers, in essence, to well-being. A deep inner harmony existing in every aspect of the person. It's a positive attribute describing relational 
and spiritual wholeness, and particularly when used to refer to God's creation, material wholeness. And to see how this idea of shalom is developed in the Bible, uh, we get to go really back to before the, the doorway of time, of creation. Uh, turn with me if you want to. Uh, to the beginning, or or to John 17, verse 5, and then we'll skip down to verse 24. Jesus is talking to his disciples just before he goes back to the Father, and he describes, he doesn't actually use the word peace, but he describes the concept. He, He describes the fellowship, the relationship that he knew with the Father and with the Spirit before the world ever began. This is that deep, harmonious peace that we desire. This is Jesus in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus is praying to the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Now going down to verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. There is no disorder in the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then God created the world through the person of Jesus. And we see here at the very beginning... Uh, back when, back in Genesis 2, this is when we start going through Scripture quickly, uh, that those who dwell with God know His peace. Genesis 2, 3, So God blessed the seventh day, and He made it holy, because on it God rested. This idea of rest being so closely related to God's peace. He rested from all His work that He had done. And what are we doing? What is mankind doing while God rested? Not because he was tired, but because he was finished. Here's mankind. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. While God rested from his creation, while God brought his shalom to creation, uh, we in our first parents were worshiping God. We were working from that vantage point of peace and relationship with God. But you know what happened? We didn't want that. Adam and Eve sinned. And that creation, there was disorder in creation. And in the fullness of time, God chose a man named Abraham. He promised him a land, a seed, and a blessing. And then he chose a particular generation of descendants of the physical descendants of Abraham and under Moses he brought them into the wilderness and then we see God beginning to bring about his peace in the nation moving all the way to Leviticus 3 there is an offering here that God commands the Israelites to to make it's a it's a peace offering and I'll I'll read about it in Leviticus 3 verse 1 then verse 5 
if his offering is a sacrifice of of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, in verse 5. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. What is so interesting about this offering is that amidst all the other offerings that God commands them to make for the atonement of sin, or at least the partial covering over of sin, This is completely voluntary. God tells the nation, bring me peace offerings. When you're obeying me, when you're in fellowship with me, you get the chance to bring me an offering anytime you want to, which is simply an expression of joy at being at peace with me. And so the the Israelite worshiper could do this anytime he wanted to. And when he obeyed God, he would be at peace in the land. Moving to number 6, 24 through 27, this is that famous prayer of Aaron after the, the priesthood had been established. This is later on in Numbers when the tabernacle was being set up. Aaron was to pray this. This is what God told him to pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless you. But of course the nation didn't obey and all throughout the Old Testament we see God promising the nation peace. His shalom, his well-being, if they would obey him and seek him and serve him. And often God's peace is, it's a kind of, it's, a, it's an attribute that kind of bundles everything else that God is. Um, consider Psalm 85, 8 through 13. Look here how all of these are a number of these other attributes that we've talked about gets included in peace here. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. God's shalom, his peace, is available for those who will seek him and obey him. But, of course, the nation as a whole didn't. And then in Isaiah 9, we read about the one who is to come whom we know to be Jesus. This is a passage we read often at Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And of course he did. He sent Jesus to us. 
And as we turn to the New Testament, we no longer have the word shalom because the New Testament's in Greek. Now we have the word irene, which basically translates this concept of shalom. It's where we get the girl's name, Irene. Good name. Maybe it'll come back in force. Jesus, John 14, 27, how does he describe himself? Well, he's characterized by peace. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so Jesus died. He's buried. He's raised. He's glorified. He goes back to the Father. And the gospel of peace goes out. And then we come to a really interesting verse. We'll camp here for a second. 1 Corinthians 14.33. 1 Corinthians 14.33. This shows us that God's revelation of himself is to be received without competition or rivalry or contention because God is a God of order, not a God of disorder. And to understand this verse in isolation anyway, we need to know that in the early church, in that first century, the first part of the first century, they didn't have the New Testament, part of the Bible that we call the New Testament. They had the Old Testament, but not the New Testament. And so when when the early church would come to worship God, there would be prophets. And they would stand up and they would they would say what God wanted to be said in relation to the Old Testament. And this was essentially the New Testament coming into being. The problem in Corinth, in this verse, was that the prophets were out of order. They were all standing up and shouting and bringing prophecies, and nobody could tell what was true or false, and nobody was listening to each other. It would be like having six different sermons going on in one room with everybody having a microphone. It would be chaos. And Paul here says, no, 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 this this is not to be. Why? Because God is a God of order, not chaos. This is what he says. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. And here's the reason. It has everything to do with who God is. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of of peace. And then throughout the New Testament, particularly in Paul, he greets us. <laughs> and he greets us and he says goodbye in his letters by talking about the God of peace. Romans 15, may the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Uh, Romans or sorry Philippians 4 what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you first or first Thessalonians 5 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way God's a God of peace and order and not disorder.
And at this point, after really looking at the whole Bible, we ought to be asking ourselves, how do I get this peace into my life? If, if this is who God is and I belong to God, how can I live as one who is in fellowship with God and enjoys this peace? I have in my possession an, an article. It's a little bit dated now, but it's, uh, it's from 2009, so it's not terribly old. It's a U.S. News and Daily Report article uh, which talks about the number of people in America seeking help for anxiety-related disorders. The study took place from 1996 to 2005, so it's essentially the decade before the one that we just finished. And according to the article, the number of people getting help from doctors over anxiety doubled in that 10 years, uh, as did the number of people being prescribed antidepressants, uh, as did the, the, the cost of serving this group of, in the population, uh, the cost which went up in comparison to cancer and and heart degree, heart disease to a, a much greater extent. What we, what we see from a study like that is that we are a people who are deeply in need of peace. And we are a society that is actively seeking peace. How do we get this peace of God in our lives? Well, God is a God who actively includes his people in his peace through the gospel. And here in contrast to who God is, we're, we're talking now about what God does. And right away we come to another problem in the way that we think about peace. Typically when I think about peace, I think about inactivity. Uh, there used to be a, well, there was a time in my life when I had lots of personal projects at home. And I'd get off work and I'd be energized and I'd come home and just be busy with all that stuff at home. I'm in a different season now. Uh, today I have a chair and I have a spot on the ceiling. And often in the evenings I find myself just laying back looking at that spot on the ceiling because I'm so tired. From everything that I've been doing, maybe you know what I'm talking about. I hope that other season comes back. I think it will. But my idea of peace is, is defined typically by tiredness, by the fact that I'm finite, by the, by the fact that I'm a, I'm a creature. And when I get a few minutes of leisure, a few minutes to myself, I just want not to be bothered. That's not at all what God is like as a God of peace. Uh, we see in the scriptures that he is actively busy bringing peace to his creation and to his people. Psalm 121 verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Jesus again in the New Testament, John 5:17. My father is working until now and I am Working. When we look at what God is doing, 
we see that that work of Jesus is available to us by faith. And he's working in three ways. We'll look at them quickly. He's bringing peace with God. He's bringing peace with others, for those of us who trust trust in him. And if we will trust him, he will also bring us peace with ourselves. Peace with God results from the active obedience of Jesus. And we come now to what is probably the key verse of the message. It certainly is. Romans 5.1. Jesus says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we have peace with anybody else, before we even think about having peace with our Selves, however we define that, we need to have peace with God. And the message of the gospel is simply that Jesus was actively obedient to the Father. Having left the peace that he knew with the Father, he died in the place of all of us who deserved God's wrath. And, and thus he created peace between God and man. And the implications of this of this for those of us who are trusting him are immense. Nobody who is in Christ needs to fear God's wrath. That's absolutely amazing as we look at who God is as a God of justice and righteousness and wrath. We don't need to fear him. Look at Ephesians 2, uh, beginning in verse 13. Listen to how Jesus is presented here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." And, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And when we trust in him, we re-enter that shalom of God, that Peace of God. Hebrews 4, uh, verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of of disobedience. Uh, Once we experience the peace of God through faith in Christ... Uh, we, we can then rest as we serve God. We work, we're active, but from the vantage point of those who are no longer in hostility to God. You know, I wish everybody knew God's peace. Uh, I would love to go around my neighborhood and give gifts and say, peace, peace. But the reality is that I I rather suspect, anyway, that the majority of my wonderful Iowa neighbors are not trusting Christ alone for their peace. And for them, peace is kind of like hope. 
It's something they want to take place, but they don't have peace in Christ. My response, rather, rather than saying peace, peace, when there perhaps is none, is to simply preach the gospel, to tell them how they can have peace. You know, however imperfectly I do this, however uh, many times I have to start over when I've failed, I mean, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly, right? I mean, if this is how you have peace, I need to present the gospel to my neighbors so that those whom God has mercy on will hear the gospel and respond in faith. Uh, And when we do this, when we have peace with God, we also have peace with others that results from actively living out our peace with God with one another. God is active in all of this. Uh, look at Colossians 3.15. This is a, a verse that talks about warring parties. Those who are fighting, they should be in peace because they're all believers. Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were, one, you were called in one body, and be thankful. When when I appropriate the peace of of God that I have, the peace I have with God, uh, when when I live as one who has peace with God, with other people, then this peace of God gets applied in all my other relationships. You know, the holidays are a, a time of intense strife for a lot of families. Uh, you have families, particularly with adult children, they, they've avoided each other all year, perhaps, and they come together at Christmas and New Year's, and they come to a place that was once safe, but instead they bring their hurts and people slip back into their old roles, you know. And if there's any hurt going on, well, hurting people hurt people, as the saying goes, and family times at Christmas can be hard. And we have the opportunity of, as those who are at peace with God to be those who live at peace with each, other, with each other because that peace with God comes from outside of us. It is His peace that He is bringing about in our families. And finally, we have peace with ourselves. And this is the kind of peace that the Bible talks least about, um, but it's the kind of peace that our society thinks the most about. And it can also occur when we actively live and work from the vantage point of peace and rest. Uh, It's both active and passive. It's passive for us because this peace has been earned for us, But it's active and that when we live by the Spirit of God, we can really know His rest. Uh, Romans 8, 1 and 6. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace.
You know, at Christmas, we have a tendency uh, to look for stopgap measures to make ourselves feel uh, at peace. And for many of us, the Christmas holidays can be a time of ceaseless uh, activity. Uh, but even in a season of doing, uh, we can experience God's presence uh, while we rest. And if you've, if you've known what I've known, there is a world of difference between working through striving and working as we trust God. Our peace with God is permanent and it's been achieved for us, and it is his peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus. We thank you how you are a God of peace who is known to us through Jesus. Peace is who you are. And then it wasn't enough for you simply To be a God of peace, you entered our world, you entered our creation that you made, and you found us in disorder, and you brought peace and order to us. And we would pray that as we've looked at a lot of scripture that shows how you are a God of peace. Would you help us this Christmas to be those who rest in you, who trust in you, and know first of all peace with you, and may that be true of our relationship with others and even with ourselves. We pray it all in Jesus' name.